Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace be with you. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So the disciples are, when you think of the 12 disciples, but also the women and families that followed Jesus around. That's who's gathered to Jesus, and they didn't have transportation like we have now that we know of mostly either on foot or um or uh animal back it's not like they could just fly around and get where they wanted to but they did what they had to do to get next to jesus and get his ear and hear what it is he's saying and present themselves to him knowing he has the power to heal and help them um so they're doing that by in masses to get to him and said assuredly i say to you unless you are converted and become as little children you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven so it seems it says jesus is saying there we should have a change of heart and um be like children are be grateful for what it is we're blessed with and walk in that spirit of openness and wonder and not know it all like um and assume things um like you do when you grow up um instead have an open heart and put yourself in other people's shoes um like a child would not but approach things with an attitude of knowing with God all things are possible, I guess, instead of being hard-hearted or stubborn or setting your ways or believing what's just a myth or what you've been taught to believe, but what isn't actually the truth, at least not even according to what the red letters themselves say what Jesus is saying. And that's what Christianity is, isn't it? It's supposed to be about what Jesus says and that being our walk of life. He's saying, have a change of heart, humble yourselves, humble ourselves and not be haughty like um, like you learn to be when you as you grow up because life treats you that way. It's the what the world does to you um, and it's part in painting the whole grand big picture in God's eyes. It's so that uh, it can all play out. Verse five, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So Jesus is saying, have an open heart and anyone who um is um opens their heart to someone else if you're going to call yourself a christian have your have that openness when you approach anyone in life and i guess that would be is the parts the lord in the big picture is watching for so play that part therefore whoever humbles himself oh, wait so that was verse four. Oh, therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven so um Let's look back at one more thing that I just overlooked on verse 3. Jesus says there a lot that unless we have that change of heart, fat chance won't even making it into the kingdom of heaven. So even if we play out a part in the big picture and grand scheme of things of what God is watching, it doesn't mean that at the end of the day, we're going to all go upstairs and have that moment of uh and shine in the Lord's eyes, but it's still play a part that the Lord is watching and how we walk in the world. Um, and said, assuredly, I say to you, oh, um, so that was verse three. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, have that change of heart. And that's what actually makes you great in the eyes of God. Whoever received verse five, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. And then he's saying, have there that open heart to approaching anyone, it seems to me, 
with as a child would where you don't um assume things and have and consider that the person you're running into is could be the very same person you are it's just um how you'll react in the same position how would you react in the same position if they if you were they in their shoes in the grand scheme of things and God was watching that moment to see how it is you show up that sort of moment of judgment whoever um let's see verse uh 6 but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea so it seems to me Jesus is letting us know that the way we should approach anyone especially children is um uh, and life is with that childlike spirit basically and um he tells us and warns us in the next verse to um actually beware of the different things that we teach children at, to believe in and the, or to believe is what is called truth because if it's not if you're a christian that is if you're really saying you are a christian and believe in what the lord jesus said if you believe that's your lord then what the lord jesus says should be the last word on things there should be no other argument about it and we see that that's just not the case in reality you see how people actually treat the others whether the others generally who get the worst of it obviously is black people but black people and female or the most um extreme would be black female and under the umbrella of lgbt especially the t and it's very it's, it seems that at least in my walk throughout life it seems to be something the lord is really watching to see what's happening because you intersect with a whole lot of different people that play a role in the grand scheme of things that is nothing like the person you know them to be when all the doors are closed and the curtains are shut it and it's incredible people that others wouldn't even even think of and it's um i don't know um it's it's been interesting to me to have so many of pe of the people i've run into be willing to be videotaped and so i think it's so interesting that i don't know that and i don't know let's see jesus is saying have an open heart and also um it's awful to teach people dogma or even if it's your kids and it just makes me think of the remember i told you i don't know if you if you heard it before the when the time i woke up and the guy eric with the k was as he introduced himself to me before then he i woke up and he and we were penis to penis, basically something I don't ever do as you know. Since on the top, I try to stay away from other male fluids altogether. I stay away from body fluids unless they're my own. And even my own, I keep them off of me. <laughs> but um, some people are into that. And so I like that they're into that and I can provide them for it. But it's not something that they ever actually do um, other than, you know, by accident to myself but um it, it, jesus is saying it's an offense here that well to teach children specifically or people that you encounter uh the wrong thing it just makes me think of that i don't know the guy eric with a cave makes me think of that when because 
I remember having a conversation with him and he said he teaches his child about Santa Claus <laughs> his children about Santa Claus because hey why not I'm like I understand you know that's if you're going to teach them but he also said that he believes religion and stuff is just BS and all of that which I understand but I figure if you really believe that why would you teach your children something that you know and believe isn't true just for tradition's sake but it made me think that that's basically what everyone does they'll uh, pass down and live with something that in actuality isn't what the savior actually said and yet think that they're walking the straight and narrow in god's eyes even though it's contrary to what the savior actually says jesus is saying woe to the world because of offenses for offenses must come but woe to that man to whom the offense comes so jesus isn't saying that it's woe to the victim which sometimes it happens like that jesus is saying woe, woe to the one that committed the offense that crossed that line that in their heart of hearts knows wasn't right and um because they're gonna reap it and you just in the grand scheme of things you sometimes you don't see it but what's happening to the person is them reaping what they sowed and where they wronged you and i'm not saying that that's what's happened with that eric with the guy at all we're cool i have no issue with him i'm just saying it's interesting how when things happen like that people don't think that that um is uh i don't know if if someone knows that that's not something you're into it's not necessarily what you call rape i mean i don't think of it that way it's more of like what you consider a sexual assault but i wonder if people just walk on knowing that they wronged you and that's whether you're under the lgbt umbrella or just in life in general where you've done things that have wronged someone even if i don't know if you didn't know it was wrong that's a different story but if you knew it and did it anyway like when i've walked the wrong way and done the wrong things in life and reaped them i wonder if other people do too or if the fact that a lot of people say anyway that they are religious religious because they don't believe in religion do they escape reaping what they've sown and everything they've done i know it says or there's the belief that we reap what we sow but i haven't actually seen that exact quote that that it comes to mind in um in our re in our reading so far i'm not saying it's not there obviously but um i don't it doesn't come to mind it's something i would i think that would come to mind if i remember it being said in, along the way in the gospel excuse me if you heard of verse six i'm sorry if your hand or your foot causes you to sin cut it off from you and cast it from you it is better for you to enter in a life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or, the, or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire jesus is saying there at least from how i read it that um no matter how some how close something is to you or someone in your eye in your eyes in their eyes in your heart in some other part of your body if you know that at the end of the day um um in your heart of hearts that 
if it's something that actually would stop you from getting into heaven, down to even your right hand or your foot, Jesus is saying cut it off. So even your whole organization, your um, family member, your club, your um, belief system, your church, what you call a church, which your religion, your um, your um, wherever your whatever it is you worship, whether whatever religion it is, if that means more, that shouldn't mean more to you than even cutting off your right your hand or your foot to um, let that get in the way of doing what. Anything other than what Jesus says, what he, Jesus actually calls for, which as we've read is different from what some of the other rest of the Bible says, which why would, again, why would that trump, or trump it, why would that trump what Jesus had to say? Why would that be more important to following what Jesus says in your whole belief system if you're talking about the hereafter and God and, and you're calling yourself a Christian, Jesus is saying, then you should be willing to cut that off it down to even your hand or your foot. So there's no excuse for following anything else. Again, if you're calling yourself a Christian, it's there, nothing else should get in the way of what he has to say and what he's saying um, salvation is about. Again, if you're a Christian, why should anything else beat that? Even, but so be willing to no have no excuse for cutting anyone or anything you consider important or number one in your life off. Even cutting it off, not even having anything else to do with it. Even the child, job, spouse, whatever it is you're devoted to, down whatever, whoever, whatever, whatever it is, money. That whatever you consider most important in your life, and for a lot of people it's money, then um, you should and or call yourself interested in Christian salvation. Then it should line up with what Jesus says, and it should show itself in the things that you do. If you actually believe and call yourself a Christian and think that that's what's going to find salvation for you, and look around not many people do sometimes it's hard to even do ourselves but um but um jesus is letting us know it's not a good thing woe to that person verse eight if your hand or foot causes causes you to sin cut it off and cast it from you it is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. What Jesus is saying, make sure that you consider that in your big picture of things that what's really going to matter is the salvation of your soul and being willing to put put what he says first over every and anything else in your life. Um, if you call yourself a Christian, then uh, good luck with that. And um, the, if you choose to do something else and make that your God and still, still call yourself a Christian, it's a very bad thing. He's saying, so be willing to cut whatever that is off. Whatever whatever that is, he's saying, if you're saying you're Christian, put what he says as your number one. And if, you're caught, and if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It is better for you to enter it. Life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. So Jesus is saying there, no matter what it is, down to your hand, your foot, even your eye, cut it off. If that's if that's what it means to get into um, deciding 
uh, against what he has to say as being the word of God, truly the word of God. For if you're a Christian, take heed, verse 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. So um, not so Jesus, it seems to me, is saying there, not not only is that not only if you are not walking in the light, you may be walking in darkness and not even being seen. But if um, but if you are, he's told us what to do along the way. But he's saying as far as children go, they always get that eye of God. God is always watching on what's happening to children, not not only what what's happening to them, to them but how you're treating the children little children and people spirits souls people who are walking around just like you are uh, along the way verse 12 what do you think if a man has uh, a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying so jesus is saying if someone's hurting livestock or if you think about it in another way, uh, if you have a pet that you love and you have many, many um, of them to take care of, he's saying if even one of them is not around, you notice it. it you're not gonna, uh, it's not gonna escape your attention. Jesus is saying it's that same way for God. Verse 13, and if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices moreover, then moreover, let's start again. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Jesus is saying there, if that one um, sheep, pet, person, entity, uh, not entity, spirit that you love is um, going through life and suddenly goes down the wrong path missing, the Lord notices it and is trying to help along the way. And hopefully, you have the sense to walk back and find the way too. It's a choice though. Some paths don't, Each every path leads in a different way, up or down. And we run into those, four, those um, forks in the road all the time. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more, more over that sheep than over the 99 that didn't go astray. Um, so Jesus is saying something, we, something that you get lost along the way sometimes, but when you get found, when you come to your senses and know what's right and wrong, the Lord God, the everlasting, is happy about it. It's a good thing. And uh, because a whole lot of, because the Lord cares. The Lord's looking for all, looking for us to find light, to walk toward that light, not to be lost in dark, darkness. Verse 14, even so, if it is not the will of your father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. So it seems that the souls, our lives are important to God. God's watching. Dealing with a sin, sinning brother. Um, verse 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you and goes and tells his fault between you and him alone, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. So Jesus is saying in our interactions with each other, if if you're if someone you know wrongs you, um, here's an example of how you should deal with it. Verse 
16. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So that's like, and Jesus is saying there, and, and sometimes in life you run into uh, in issues with each other. And um, here's how you should pro approach the, in the instance when you uh, fall out with each other. He's saying if you try to approach the person, um, but they won't listen to you, they won't hear what you're trying to say, um, he's saying and treat two other people, a couple, two or three other people in modern times. It'd be like find two or three other sources so that, to help the person re relate to it or two or three other friends to get their opinion on it and see what they think of, the, think of what's going on um, to see if they agree with you or not. He's saying this is the first way to approach the uh, the the uh, beef you got with each other. Verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So Jesus is saying in, if you fall out with somebody, um, first try and get two or three other people to see maybe you're right, maybe they're wrong. Maybe maybe you're maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. See if some of your mutual friends, if they agree with you, it, that they're right or wrong in the situation. And um, in my mind, in my experience, one many of the times it's happened has been in encounters with my own family, being confronted just for being who I am. Most usually they use my name. They try to, I guess it's called dename me or dead name me, where they bring up a name you don't use anymore. But, and you know, thinking that that hurts you or bothers you so much because it, it, it's um it's not what you, you've in most cases you've changed your your name if you can if you if you can so that people won't recognize you in the same way or think of you in the same way like if you get those num those letters behind your name if you earn different um, um, PhDs and things so that you can appeal to people he's saying tell them tell um so tell it to the church. He's, I don't know. So he's saying, tell us to the church in modern times, that would be if you find religious sources, bring in the word itself. That would be Jesus, his teaching in, in this instance, because it's Christianity, bring up the things he's talking about, the things he says. And that's, it seems to me, it's one of the, it's so different than what the Bible, what other people had, would have you believe. It's actually supposed to be the word of God as is, as He's supposed to be the son of God, bringing us the word of God. And so what he says is different than what the rest of the Bible says. So you, you bring up those instances. So in the case with my family, I've, we've, I've had those encounters in front of them where they try to dename me and stuff. And you try to bring up the Bible, for instance, with my um, sister who owned the church, owns the church in Georgia. And, um, her husband, God bless him, he's passed away because because of COVID way on early in the pandemic. Um, and they had a church and it was actually the church where we where I went to uh, after I finally came to grips, grips with Christianity and who I am that I said when I went there after the funeral of one of my cousins, Peaches, in Georgia, she, um, I, I didn't even go to the funeral. I went to the funeral, but I sat in the car with my mother 
because I've lived like the first time I really in, in, was in front of them dressed as a female, as a woman. And, and so, um, I know, knew they, they knew how I was because I've been so effeminate uh, my entire life. They've teased me about it as a child, <laughs> not just my family, friends, everyone could notice it. It was obvious. But so, um, yet you see them act surprised when they see you show up, finally accepting, embracing who you are, and they cause a scene. And like I said, they consider themselves religious. They even own the church. But um, she took it upon herself to do that one time. And so I felt like I had to bring up the church with her because she's one of my sisters, but she was like a sister that my father had before my, he and my mother even met. But it's not like he was in her life much, uh, but she was his father. She didn't come along in our lives until later, but I don't know how she feels about that, but in her religion, I knew that's important to her. So since she felt like she needed to dename de me, I felt like she's a religious person. The most sensible way, just like Jesus is saying, is bring religion up with her. I, so I brought up religion with her and brought up her, um, her, um, how do you say it? Um, her legitimacy. And I didn't just bring it up out of blue, out of the blue because but I know there's a verse in the Bible that says people of legit illegitimate birth. That means your parents were married when you when they were born. You were born outside of wedlock as the old folks would say it, as old school would say it in that sense. And nowadays you know how uncommon that is. That doesn't matter in most people's eyes. And yet it's saying right there that if you are of that type of birth then that's you're not going to even make it in that king into the kingdom of God. You don't have to take my word for it. I'm using the blueletterbible.org website in case you don't have a physical Bible of your own to understand, um, to reference the Bible and its reading with me. Um, but you can, if you want to, and you can see what Jesus actually says and how it appears in red letters. There's no um, disputing it. So you can bring up the the thing the things that Jesus says, and that's supposed to matter. Is if you call yourself Christian, in the case of my sister, the the mother of the church. Um, so if you're gonna believe that, then what Jesus says is what matters. And Jesus has said things about, for instance, the LGBT that is it's supposed to matter if you're a Christian. It's accepting if you're a Christian, and yet she presents me with that kind of attitude. So. I brought up the the verse to her that if you're um, a illegitimate birth, you're not even going to make it in heaven. And I did it. In, she did it in front of family. So so did I. And uh, she didn't have anything to say except, oh, I let her know. Oh well, if that's what you believe, and I brought up that verse. It's not something Jesus said. It doesn't even matter to me. I don't think it necessarily it matters in God's eyes. I don't believe it matters in God in God's eyes, but I know she believes it. So in her need to bring me back because of the name change, which, ha which happens again and again and again in the Bible itself, I and feel, felt the need to try and humiliate me because of my name, I felt like the only way to get to her was to bring her back and show her a verse in the Bible that she claims to live by, she makes a living from, 
that should matter to her. And the only thing she had to say was she better leave. I said goodbye. So then when she left, I didn't have anything else to say to the rest of the family either. She left, but not one of them said anything at all. And consider, that's the thing that I consider um, the toughest part. They said all of them could see she's in the wrong. Supposedly, if they care about me, if they love me. So one of them should have spoke up for me also, but not one of them did. Even ones who've known me since I was a, like from since I was born. Not one word. Not one word at all. But it may it, but they all claim to be Christian. Especially her, the mother of the church. And but when it came down to it, she didn't have anything about to say about what I said in that moment. And I knew that mattered to her. And the fact that she's a illegitimate birth that brought her back she didn't have anything to say at all so even the very next day when she tried to speak there was nothing said in return she got a cold shoulder and that was it and ever since since then she hasn't presented any apology not one of the people who stood around did but it's happened four more times with other people all who claim to be christian all who have different reasons that they're no more christian than i am it happens again and again. And yet, when you bring them back about those instances, they have no defense for it at all. And it seems that they don't believe that's gonna matter in God's eyes. And yet, if you're a Christian, it's contradicting every G everything Jesus is saying. But so if you contradict, um, if they're contradicting what the two or three friends say is right or wrong, if they even contradict what God is saying, um, then let them be to you as a tax collector or heathen. That means cut them off. Don't you don't have to continue have a room, having a relationship with anyone. Have that ability to cut them off and move on. Prune them from your life. Verse 18, Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he's saying holding on to things or letting them go is what's going to matter. If you hold on to that grudge, if you think that's going to keep you alive, um, then that's going to be held on in the, in the divine sense, and you're going to reap that. But if you let it go, if you move on, then it's blessings for you. It's growth. It's light. It, um, it, cause, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to appear, the things you do on earth is going to appear in the divine sense also. Verse 19, again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So he's saying in the grand sense of things, if two people come in agreement about anything, true agreement about anything, it's going to be noticed in God's eyes. He's going to He's going to um, pay attention to it. And you can see beyond a religious sense, that's what a lot of the most success successful businesses have been about. They've been about cooperative relationships between two or more people or parties, I should say, especially close friends or even most often family members willing to give each other a hand or help. Um, but he's saying if you do that, it's usually going to be successful. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. So he says, if you come together in agreement about, in a spiritual sense, if you truly believe it in your heart, not trying to rip each other off or burn each other, but actually being truthful, um, God's going to give it grace and bless the situation. If it's a good and blessed situation, I'm going to be taking notice of it. 
Um, and um, verse 21, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up seven times? So Jesus is saying, put up some, put up with your brother's BS seven times. That's what the person is asking him. Is that what's supposed to matter? Put up with their them offending you seven times. Is that the limit you're supposed to take? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you, verse 22, I do not say to you, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you, up to seven times, but a set, but up to 73, 70 times seven. So um, that's like 490 times be willing to put up with something. Let somebody rob you of $490. Let it cost you that much in the grand scheme of things. Be willing to put up with that many times um, before uh, you be willing to cut someone out, cut someone off or it could be 490 lives. Make a, if someone is responsible for a plane crash on purpose or something like that, um, that could be 490 times. Or it could just be in minor offenses, micro offenses where you offend someone. He says, put up with it that many times. That be actual, actually generous about forgiveness. Don't be stingy with that. That's what Jesus seems to be saying. Not just a few times, not just seven times, be have an open heart, but have an open heart about forgiveness. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So Jesus is saying the big picture in the grand scheme of things, this is what the eyes of God are like and watching over things. Verse 24, and when he had, oh, oh um, the whole part. Sorry, I missed that one. Verse 20. Therefore, the kingdom. Oh, so Jesus is saying this about this, um, but when it comes judgment day. Verse 24. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him, one who was brought to him owed him 10,000 talents. So he's, it seems to be, he's saying it's a, in life, in God's view of things, if two people are interacting and they want to settle accounts. They want to balance the books. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all, all that he had and that payment be made. So he's saying judgment day appeared and he had to pay the piper and it cost him whole, his whole livelihood, even down to his family. The debt, the cost of um, his, the life that he's lived. Um, let's see, verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. So it's even like slavery and debt the person is burdened down with. The, and the family and all of them, he knows it's at that moment. Um even down his children being sold. That means like slavery. So that in modern times, that would be owning bad debt. And that'd be building like a balloon for yourself in life rather than a st the straight, narrow, steady path. The servant therefore felt that seems relevant in the market today. It seems kind of inflated. And, uh, you know, just in my opinion, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. So he feels like it's going to cost him his life, but if he gives him patience, he'll pay him all the debt that he owes him. 
Verse 27, then the master, that servant, was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. See, so he says, judgment day appeared for that for that person, that spirit, and um, he thought it was going to cost him, it was, it was going to cost him his whole life, but the person who had the power over, over control of his life, the path of his life, um, decided to be compassionate with him and forgive him the wrongs he had done in life. So that makes it seem like he got a pass on Judgment Day when that moment when he when that moment came. Um, verse twenty eight. That means it seems like God overlooked his sins. Verse twenty eight. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who who owed him a hundred talents, a hundred talents. I'm sorry, hundred denarii, and he had. Let me restart that one again. Verse 28. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So it came down for that same person who was forgiven and thought it was going to cost him his whole livelihood. Judgment day appeared for him. He got a pass. Had the same encounter right after that. With somebody who owed him a whole lot less, someone with someone who didn't didn't offend him as bad as um, he offended in life and thought it was going to cost him his soul. He encountered someone who didn't do nearly as bad as that, and he wanted to kill him for pennies. That means he thought it was a huge offense, even though he just got forgiven for the things he'd done wrong. Verse twenty nine. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet. And begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. So, judgment day came for his friend. He had, the, he had, the tables were turned. And he had a hard heart about the situation. Um, so, but that person had the heart to say, I'm sorry. How is he going to deal with it? Verse 30, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So, in the grand scheme of things, in my eyes, in my situation, in my walk, comparing to my family, I've had a forgiving uh, heart, I believe, with them from uh, the, with the five different situations that happened with me. Um, just as an example, one time it was one of my nieces. She um, she said oh, the whole on the whole LGBT situation, she contacted me on social media with some of her her people there who could read what was happening. I wasn't really active on that situation on social media like that. She was, but they could probably read it too. And she had a confrontation with me like that. And so, and I, like I said, was active on it at that point, but since then I gave it up because of that situation. Um, and the same situation happened with her. I had to bring up her legitimacy and it, got ugly and got blocked on social media and stuff. And like I said, I gave it up and we stopped talking. Now, but on, not only did we stop talking, my, her, my sister, her mother, my sister also stopped talking 
because I text her, her when it happened off social media to let her know, look, me and your daughter just had an ugly confrontation. And I know it was so bad that it would offend you. Again, it was about the whole illegitimacy situation. So I know not only did I speak ill of my niece who was confronting me in that way, and I felt the need to return the favor to her in the way I did, but it also would affect it would also would affect my sister who I love dearly who's been there for me as a child dearly who co-signed for me in a way that no one else knew about or did or could that I know of and um changed my life god bless her so I knew it would hurt her feelings that I would have that kind of ugly interaction with her daughter who I also loved and when she went through things as a child, and I was there for her, and um, that was special to me. So I knew that would matter also to her, and it would hurt her feelings in having to say that. In the same way, I knew it would hurt my other sister's feelings when I said what I had to say about illegitimacy, illegitimacy to her. So I knew it hurt my niece's feelings also, but I said what I had to say, and I knew that that was the only defense that I could present, because no other part of me is respectable enough, respectable enough in their eyes to just respect me as a person or respect my change of name, for instance, besides the whole rest of my image that they perceive however they perceive it to be. But in generally, in general, the way they re, re, would react to me, even though we've had the relationships we've had has been so moving for them, would still be the way they are to me is an example of that moment that God watches to see how it's going to happen and how it turns out for them also. And in her case also, it turned out ugly And in her uh, reaction to me because she didn't talk to me. She blocked me on social media and my sister stopped speaking to me just like I told her she would when the whole thing happened. So it was just so interesting that it played out that way. I told her, I know you're not going to speak to me again because of this, because you love your daughter. I love her too. But that's not what seems to matter to her at that moment. So I knew that that was going to happen, and for sure she did that. She didn't speak to me again. I say that in past tense because my, her daughter since then, who I had that interaction with, started speaking to me again. I've even seen her again, which I hadn't seen in years, because she wanted to still be close to me and let me know that's what matters in the grand scheme of things for her also and we've made amends for that and since then I got that same relationship back with that same sister that I was telling you about so um in the grand scheme of things in that instance it seems God's watching that and we reap what we sow and we go through that whole, whole same walk and how we experience that is what's going to matter and how we treat the people who offended us and either cut them off for sure or have another relationship with them again is what's going to matter in God's eyes. That's what's going to matter as far as judgment goes. Verse, And I thank God that I have a relationship with the people who have had that those encounters with me. Even if it's not a relationship of speaking again, it's a peaceful 
relationship where we know we, we love each other, but I'm not going to put up with them and they're not going to put up with me. So I don't mind not being around them. <clears throat> but I have no hard feelings to them. And God only knows how they feel to me. But Jesus is letting us know. So his fellow servants fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. So that'd be as if in the situation I told you about with my family, them coming to me and having an apologetic, apologetic, apologetic spirit and it mattering to them that how they did me was wrong. How I approached that in that experience, and it may, it obviously wouldn't appear that way in your life, but that would be how it would, that's an example how it can show up in my life and how in Christian life, that's how it is to see how we uh, experience those moments, experience those moments in a Christian sense, truly or not. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So that's verse 30. Jesus is saying if in that instance, instead of having an open heart, a forgiving heart, you cut the person off and wouldn't speak to them again. You put them in that prison or you gave up on them. You cut them off. Threw them in a literal prison is even worse, it seems, because that's physical for them also, which can be spiritual and physical. I mean, besides physical. Verse 31, so he, when his fellow servants saw that he had been had done so, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that he had done, all that had been done. So that means the fact that he was unforgiving about it got back to the person who had power and control over his life, the person who he feared was going to take control of the debt and ownership and wrong that he's committed in life. Judgment Day, the Grim Reaper. He thought he, that situation that could take his life showed up again, which he didn't expect. They found out that he didn't give somebody else that same courtesy and compassion and willingness to um, be charitable if you say you're Christian with like um, they got, like they received. Verse 31, if you're going to be a hypocrite, basically. So verse 31, so when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master and all that he and all that had been done. So like I said, it's like word got back to the person who had control over the situation again. Judgment Day again. It'd be like if you were living a lifestyle that made you ill like it, like, um, eating the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, usually doing the wrong thing. Sometimes saying the wrong thing, he's saying if that situation shows up in your life and you choose to um, react this way, here's verse 32, then his master, then his master, then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. So again, Consider that judgment day showing up. You could still choose to eat the wrong thing. Still choose to not do any exercise. Still choose to mistreat or abuse the situation. Still choose to do someone wrong, even though you know you are in the wrong and have needed or have needed mercy and compassion or forgiveness before, but won't extend that to your fellow man if you find yourself in that boat.
Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? So the person, the Grim Reaper, Mo Judgment Day, that moment in life where you have to pay the piper showed up for him. And um, it's going to, his hypocrisy is being called out. His unwillingness to be true, to have, as Brad Pitt said, said in that interview with the vampire movie, if you don't have the courage of your convictions, if you can't just talk the talk and not and walk and walk the walk if that moment of judgment shows up for you and you still won't do the right thing you still won't eat right you still won't do right you still won't act right um and moment and you get grace the first time but it shows up to you again and you still won't do the right thing um here's what's gonna happen on that judgment day and his master was verse 34 and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So judgment showed up again for him. Say like he had another heart attack or uh, the relationship busted up again. Or you got caught up one more time when you thought you got away. and Or you've gotten away before and thought that it was going to happen again. He's saying, but judgment day came again because you didn't change your ways. You didn't consider your hypocrisy. You didn't consider how wrong you were. Now, in the situation with my family, um, some of them, like I said, spoke to me again. Another one again, the one singular one, the church mother one. And this is no, I don't know if this is judgment for her or not. But since um, she did me that way and supposedly is a religious woman, but was unrepentant about how she did me she shut her mouth and had no more nerve to say anything since she um couldn't defend herself and her behavior even in front of other people and i made peace with the people who um didn't speak up for me the one who mattered to me and i had a heart moving moment for each other a poignant moment where we came to an understanding about each other because i had to tell her and i love her dearly that um it shows me that um, in life, sometimes nobody else is in on alive in person. A human is on your side. You're gonna walk alone. And I was saying because it broke. It was hard. It was tough for me to see that in life I didn't really have an ally. I love her dearly, but she stood by and saw how they did me and said nothing. I said, consider now, if you saw that in your children, and she's in education. That if you saw children doing each other wrong, bullying each other, and you saw it happening, and you saw other children standing around and doing nothing, you would say to the children, hey, don't just don't do that and bust it up. You tell the children to not stand by and let violence happen. And you're standing by and saying nothing. And you know I've had no choice in my how I am. I am how I am. I am who I am. And so it's not like it's some willy-nilly thing. It's um, She knows that of all people. And to see her just stand by and say nothing was heartbreaking for me. And it showed me a lesson in life that you have no one on your side. Sometimes you walk alone. So um, she and I, like I said, in a moment. But now I consider even closer because we had that moment. But um, never stop talking to to each other. But it was a moment that moved us both because she came around and knew and said that I was right and that she was wrong for standing by and watching that and not saying anything. And um, 
that is enough for me, especially from her. And I appreciate it. And I think that that's all a lot of people are looking for, asking for in their walk of life to be considered as someone else would, as you would put yourself in their shoes and um, experience the same thing and be willing to extend that because in Judgment Day, when it rolls around again, when it rolls around for sure, when you have to truly pay up, then um, it's going to matter what you, who you are, what you say, what you do, what you truly believe. It's going to matter. Um, it's going to show up. But that makes me wonder if what you, if you believe in no God, does that mean when you um, pass away, you're not going to matter? It's not going to matter? Maybe. And some people are okay with that. Some people will even tell you that because they say they believe that. And some people, that's exactly what's going to happen for them in life. They're not going to have that judgment day with God. They're not going to come to that meeting with the Lord because it's just part of a big picture that's meant to help paint that picture. Verse 36, so my heavenly father also will go, will do to you if you do not from your, from, let's say it, I'll start that one more time. Verse 35, so my heavenly father also will do to you if you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Jesus saying, is saying there, be sincere, be real about your interactions with each other. Be Treat each other truly how you want to be treated. And consider that in, in the realm of life. If you really want to create a society, if you want to really, if you're calling yourself a Christian and want to walk the walk and talk the talk, consider the reality of what's being called the truth and demand it be the truth. You know, if someone really wants to become rich, they could become rich by using these book bands. If people are going around for their religious clowning, you could reveal who's behind the Oz part of the big picture by suing. You could get rich and sue whatever areas are book banning. And the way you could sue is on the grounds of that them that they're de, um, demand that they demand that they um, ban the Bible. If you don't believe me yourself. You can read it. You can use my other video I've uploaded, the whole Bible top 10, and you can see. Use any of those as grounds to have the Bible banned from school. You can demand that wherever they're doing that book banning. Demand they ban the Bible. And if they don't demand, if they don't ban the Bible, they got to pay you. Demand that that happens. And you can watch in the big picture of things. You can watch, you can get rich, number one. You can also watch in the grand scheme of things how that plays out. It'll end up being like the Twilight Zone. You can look at that episode where um, the Bible has been obsolete man. I think it's what it's called. You can look at it on that for yourself and um, see. That's what's going to play out. You, but um, and it's probably that's the way people are leading because and you can demand it be banned because if any school is allowing the Bible to be present in it. They're teaching all kinds of things that contradict this whole critical race theory craziness, banning it. This whole, um, you can counter all of that with that for people who say, you know, you got to ban a book because it's talking about critical critical race theory, or you know you got to ban this book because it points to LGBT stuff. You know you got to ban this book because it disagrees with this or you, it disagrees with that. And getting books banned, you you can get rich by demanding whoever's doing that, wherever they're doing that, to um, ban the Bible. 
As soon as they try to ban the Bible, it's, there's going to be an outrage, but it's going to be a moment of truth where whoever is defending the lie, the craziness that's preached and taught and people fall into that trap of thinking that that's what, re that's what really finding God is about. Blind sheep, you can reveal all of that. You can get rich, number one, but you can reveal, reveal all of that. And you can reveal all that because they're not going to ban the Bible. They're going to talk about banning the Bible. And if they do ban the Bible, then um, it's going to be, like I said, watch how it's going to, you could see for yourself, how it's like that Twilight Zone episode. Because once you ban the Bible, you're going to ban all kinds of truth. Anyone on that list that I told you about that people believe all sorts of myths about, that they believe is the reality of things. they And it matters because people will use religion and oppress other people. They'll get people to believe that, oh, if you're gay, you're going to hell. And if since you're going to hell anyway, that'll encourage you to have a hard life and do what you have to do, even if it means um, having to um, steal things or kill people. <laughs> Maybe not kill people. Steal things or um, do a certain thing or be a certain way. He's saying even if... Um, if um, you have to, um, if that moment of truth comes and you won't do the right thing, you're going to get the wrong thing. You're going to receive cut off and torture and punishment for having that hard heart, for not being, being willing to extend loving your neighbor as yourself as you claim to be the truth, but actually loving your neighbor as yourself and being forgiving and loving and kind. And treating people the way you want to be treated. So my Heavenly Father also will do to you if you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So that points to my sister, like I, said, I meant to say, after with COVID and all, she passed away. But not only did that, with that, the sister owned the church. A timber from her church fell on her head and she ended up hospitalized. And not only that, that her... Her and her grandchildren, I think one of her grandchildren, one of her family members, six, or at least six of our family members passed away. None close to me, all close to her. She, you know, known to her, I should say, um, in her neck of the woods, I should say, um, I have passed away because of COVID. And um, like I said, it happened early on. So people were still, in, still doing things like gathering and what are called churches where you're not learning about anything religious about Jesus said at all, but religious things, um, stuff that doesn't make sense, stuff that contradicts itself. That's what she was peddling in. And when she was called out on it, she had nothing to say, things like that. And he's saying there that um, you have to have a change of heart. And if you don't, you're going to face the consequences. Like I said, a temper fell on her head. She ended up hospitalized. Like I said, a bunch of people caught COVID. I think, like I said, you can look for it yourself online when COVID broke out and stuff. A church in Southeast Georgia, do that Google search. And um, you can see six or seven people died. You can do um, whatever terms you can come up with to find out about that. It was major. And um, she's, I think, caught COVID more than once. Um, thank God I haven't caught it at all. Like I said, as you know, I wear my mask. And um, not to say I haven't reaped other things. I've gone through other things. but I, And not to say that who's right or wrong. I'm saying look at the big picture and how things play out and how we do each other. And that's just an example of it. And an example of our readings here on The Naked Truth is this one, because this one's over. That's the last verse. God bless you, and thanks for joining me. 
and God willing, I see you again. If you're an adult, you can see past readings, listen to past readings here on Anchor, on Spotify, The Naked Truth. Or if you're an adult, as always, you can go to my website. It's hungtgirl.com. You can enjoy the uh, links and find out about me, body, mind, spirit, and soul. More about what we do here on The Naked Truth with finding out what Jesus says, how it interacts with our lives, and what truth actually is. You can read along with me, um, scroll along with me, or open up, and open up your own if you choose to. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time. God bless you. Thanks again, and peace be with you. Thanks for checking out The Naked Truth. As always, I appreciate it. If you're interested in finding out more about The Naked Truth and more about who produces it, who I am, feel free to check out. If you're an adult, go to my website. It's hungtgirl.com. That's H is in Harry, U is in, hey, you and me, N is in Nancy, G is in girl, T is in Tom, G is in George, I is in I, R is in R. R is what's important. Uh, L is, is an L.com. You can find out about me more about me. You can check out the pictures. They're free. They're actually free videos. And if you are feeling generous, feel free to help me out. If you're feeling really generous and feel funny about reaching out to helping me help out any transgender Anyone who you know that matters, that you give a damn about, help them out however you can, especially our transgender people of color, especially transgender people of color who present as female. God help us. If you give a care, help them. If you care about me, if you feel free, help me. Give what you can. Help me. I'm hungtgirl.com. And um, enjoy the free videos. I intend to make them all free. So just come back and check out every single time you can. And you may need some lotion handy. Stay safe. God bless you. And peace be with you. If you're interested by in the way in finding more peace on your own, and and finding God matters to you. That's what we focus on here on the Naked Truth. Then check out the Spirit and Soul pages there on the site. Again, you have to be an adult. And you can read along there what Jesus actually says. And you'll find out real fast what Jesus says and what you've been led to believe and what's out there as truth may actually be very different than what the truth actually is. That's if you believe in the whole Jesus Jesus. If so, find out, read along with me here on the Naked Truth, because what Jesus says appears in red letters in the Bible. And it turns out that only appears in six of the 60 plus books that are in the Bible. So uh, that should be significant to us if we're, if we're Christian or identifying and self-identifying as Christian as what act, the actual truth is. And what truth is according to what Jesus says is different than what anyone else may tell you. It's it's different than what other parts of the Bible say. And if, again, if you're a Christian, what Jesus says is what's supposed to matter. Feel free to check out the Bible top 10 here on this platform. You can scroll along with me and see what the truth actually is, and you will probably be shocked. But if you're calling yourself Christian, what Jesus says is what's supposed to matter. So that's what we focus on here on The Naked Truth. 
read along with me, feel free to bless me. And in the meantime, stay safe and God bless you. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you. We're going to do a top 10 countdown of the 10 topics that churches most confuse or use to deceive and lie to their uh, flock about, even though the Bible says the exact opposite. So we're going to do our top 10 list, beginning with, uh, we'll go start with some of the lighter ones, starting with people say God is not the author of confusion, for instance. So let's see what the Bible says at the very beginning in the book of Genesis, right? It says, this is God speaking. If you're going to believe it's God saying, come, let us go down in there, confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. That's where the whole Tower of Babel uh, story comes in, where, uh, where clearly God is the original author of confusion. Why else would he say that if you're going to believe that's God? So that's just a light example of how churches will slide lies into the picture and confuse. And if you're not careful, you'll believe it. But that's just one example. If you look further uh, to, for instance, churches will talk, people will go around saying, oh, they don't have any regrets, uh, live a life without regrets, and don't concern themselves with anything about how they've done people and if they've done right or if they've done wrong. They go through life not thinking about the different things that have happened and the way they've treated people. And yet, that's a pretty bold statement since if if you can go through life without regrets, you're doing something God wasn't even able to do. Since if you look back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 7, you'll see that even God himself, if you're going to believe this is God speaking, says, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So here, if you're going to believe the Old Testament, you've got to believe this is God talking. And even God himself in the very first book of the Bible already faces regrets. So if humans are going around without regrets, you're doing something God didn't even pull off. So again, kudos to you. Uh, uh, realistically, you may want to consider your ways, though, actually. How in the world can you go through thinking that you're, you've accomplished something God wasn't even able to accomplish? But it's possible if that's what you want to believe. But that's just one topic. If, if you want to go further, there's the next thing that churches like to lie to you about. and Or maybe I should say mislead people about uh, their flock about. It, it's truly lying though. I mean, cause they, it's right there for you to read. But maybe... They just don't read it. So, just to be sure, we'll go to the book of Leviticus now. Uh, where it talks about the different food laws and things you're allowed to eat and not allowed to eat. So, if you go to Leviticus chapter 11, for instance, you'll see there's a laundry list of things that you can eat, cannot eat, aren't supposed to eat, can't touch. All sorts of things, from um, shellfish to pork. Uh, it's taking its time loading, but give it time. It should be up. Let's see. Uh, Leviticus. Oh, sorry. Maybe this would help. Oh, it's Leviticus chapter 11, though. While this loads, uh, you'll see for yourself this site trip sometimes. I'm not sure why. 
but let's see oh it's loading just give it time so anyway in Leviticus Leviticus chapter 11 there's all sorts of things you can't eat um, like I said whether it's shrimp and lobster even though churches nowadays think that's just fine they'll picket funerals of gay people or gay soldiers or even just straight soldiers protesting saying it's because of the acceptance of gay people and yet uh, They'll forget all about the lobsters and shrimp and all the other sorts of things you're not supposed to eat also in favor of the things that are on their own hearts and on their own minds instead of what Jesus actually, what the Bible actually says. And I'm not sure why it's taking so long to load, but it's in Leviticus chapter 11. But if you don't want to take my word for it, let's see, maybe this will do better. we'll go on to Genesis chapter 6 here we go alright so this is where we talked about the um, uh, Jesus God having regrets let's see did it oh Sorry, I said six, but it's actually Genesis chapter. Oh, now we've got Leviticus now. Okay, so let's go with Leviticus. There we go. So, here's Leviticus, and you can see different foods and things permitted and forbidden. And I'm not going to read through them with you, read through them now, because um, I don't adhere to them anyway. But um, I don't believe this is God actually speaking. But if you're going to believe the Old Testament and that this is God speaking, and rules laid down by God, then one, you have to believe that God changed his mind between what he just told us in Genesis and here what he's telling us in Leviticus. And um, and that's not even all of it either, because it turns out it changes again once you get to the New Testament. But that's just an example. Um, that's the third example. So the fourth example would be uh, the death penalty. You, you know, people nowadays will walk around saying that the death penalty is totally righteous and something that should be done and even carried out swiftly as in you should shed the blood of the people who are guilty quick as if they don't know uh, the justice system is slanted against black people and that plenty of innocent people have been murdered through the death penalty it's uh, just state sanctioned murder but people will do that and they'll even have the nerve to cite the bible and yet if you look back to the very first murder mentioned in the bible um, uh, when Cain murders Abel, Cain is afraid that he's going to face the death penalty. And so he says, surely you've driven, he's saying him out from the face of the ground. He shall be hidden from God's face. He shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds him will kill him. So he's afraid of the death penalty. But what does the Lord say? And the Lord said to him, if you're going to believe this is God, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold and the Lord set a mark on Cain lest anyone finding him should kill him so that's clearly God saying no it's not for people to uh, take the blood of someone else if even if they've committed murder you know even if it's the death penalty it's not for us to do but then again you if you keep reading it turns out that I guess God must change his mind a lot if you're gonna believe this is God because in the same book by the time you get to chapter 9 God's changed his mind again about the death penalty because if you see scroll down to chapter 6 
uh, verse 6, I'm sorry, uh, 5 and 6, better said. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. So, um, for he, in the image of God, he made man. And now we're going to get to that subject too. But you see here, just that quick, now suddenly God has had a change of heart. And it's okay to take care to take out, carry out the death penalty on someone. So I guess you have to choose which, who is it you're going to believe? Which verse do you want to line up with your belief system? Um, but that's, again, that's just the beginning. There are all kinds of contradictions from Old Testament to New, but even from chapter to chapter, even within the same book as we've just read. But um, we'll keep going. The next subject, the fifth one, will be revenge. If you think about um, the Old Testament, what it says about revenge, we can go to Deuteronomy 19 and we'll scroll down to verse 21. And it talks about an eye for an eye. Let's see. Here you go. Uh, you shall not pity. Life, for, life shall be for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. So, seems pretty clear. You, If somebody hurts you, you can hurt them back. And yet... Um, if you go, if you're a Christian, then you, you got to know where I'm going with this. What Jesus actually says about revenge um, in Matthew chapter 5. If we scroll down to verse 39, God, uh, Jesus, if you're a Christian, again, we call God. Uh, Jesus says, but I tell you, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, just like we just read. But Jesus says, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. So Jesus is saying, no, it's not for you to carry out revenge for yourself. Um, even though, like we said, we just read it. Or you're going to believe that's God in the Old Testament talking. God said it's just fine to carry out revenge and do an eye for an eye. So, again, you have to choose. If you're a Christian, Jesus is who you're supposed to be listening to. And these are the letters, these letters in red mean they're quotes of Jesus, just in case you don't know. But we're not done. Those are just the five lighter ones that, um, that, that I found that are contradictions or even outright lies that churches will tell you and still keep people roped into that thinking. The next one, we're, the next five are probably going to be the most controversial of the of of all ten, but you know we're here for. If you're a believer, you're supposed to be about the truth, not about um, nonsense. So let's stick to the truth. So if you do a search in the Bible for uh, the phrase uh, "feet like brass," you'll see that descriptions come up in Revelation and in Daniel that talk about uh, a description of Jesus and of God. And what do you know? It turns out. God's dark-skinned. Jesus is dark-skinned if you're going to believe it's Jesus in both places. Either way, if you're going to believe it's in, in Revelation, it's directly saying Son of Man and Jesus. But here you see how it describes him physically. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Uh, again, and to the angel of the church of Theotera, these things sa says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Brass is not pale or pink at all. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms like, and feet like burnished bronze in color. 
one of the few places the Bible even discusses skin color. And it makes a point to discuss us, discuss it here and let us know it's describing uh, Daniel's vision of, par of apparently a uh, heavenly vision of God or maybe Jesus in heaven or somehow this is God. And uh, if you read in Daniel, it's God he's talking about. Um, so that's not white. And I saw still another mightily angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud. So again and again, you can see where it, the descriptions are uh, brass, it's, which is not pink it, or it's not white it's brown it's light brown it's golden brown it's not white not that race matters to me but it's so that you know that churches will lie to you but even if that's not enough to convince you you can read further descriptions of what it says Jesus actually physically looked like when it describes his hair which absolutely sounds like definitely not white it says his head and hair were white like wool as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire and but if you read back in uh, Daniel, I watched till thrones were put in place, were put in place, an ancient of days, which shows that clearly there is aging in a spiritual body, was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. Sounds like an afro to me. Whether it's an afro for a black person or a Jewfro for a Jewish person, that's not straight blowing in the wind, stringy hair. That's woolish. That's fluffy. That's a fro. His uh, throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels of burning fire. Um, so that's Daniel's vision of Jesus or God as we believe him to be. And that's the Old Testament. So again, he's not white. Uh, you may want to believe it, but he's not white. It does. It clearly says he's not white. It, he's it, he's not. So that's one. And like I said, it's going to be controversial if you aren't willing to accept the truth but it gets even more controversial if you think about what the bible says of uh, what churches will tell you about uh weed marijuana for instance uh you know specifically and they'll for they'll think put all their all their feelings about marijuana on what god says and put words in god's mouth but when it it actually turns out that god says again if you go all the way back to the very beginning and God said, see, I've given you every green herb. I've given you every herb that you'll see, which is on the face of all the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food, a vegetarian diet. But not just that, every green herb. And in case you don't know it, marijuana is called herb because it is an herb. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and everything that creeps on the earth. In which there is life. I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. So again. Believe what you want to believe. But don't put words in God's or Jesus' mouth. Clearly here. Weed is not a, a devil's invention. It's one of the things God gave us to use. To eat. To consume. And if you don't want to smoke it. you There are edibles. So you could still eat that herb. as Just like it says here. But the point is. Don't let churches just twist the truth and twist their dogma all around your neck and hang you up in things that get you caught up that you shouldn't even be caught up in. So that's just uh, that's the seventh one. So it only gets even heavier from there. Um, if the eighth thing that churches will lie to you about is, believe it or not, heaven. They'll tell you um, um, uh, all of, uh, different things about heaven. And this person's gone to heaven, that person's going to hell, and all of that stuff. But it turns out, Jesus says, no one has gone to heaven. 
And don't take my word for it. Go to John chapter 3 and you see in verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Meaning Jesus. That's the only one. I mean, and maybe since Jesus' appearance and crucifixion, the, the gates have been open and more people have been admitted. But Jesus is saying clearly, up until this point, up until his coming, up until the mission he arrived to perform... No one, uh, meaning not Adam, not Eve, not anyone has made it to heaven. No one. And churches may try to lie to you and say, oh, your, your loved one is resting in heaven. Like I said, maybe they are since all of this has already been accomplished. But Jesus himself, it's in red, is making it clear that up until his coming, no one had actually made it into heaven. No one. I'm, there's no other way around that, even though churches will lie to you about it. So now we go to we make it to the top two things that churches will lie to you about, and they are extremely controversial. But again, are you going to worry about what people think, or are you going to worry about what God says? So the first one is about homosexuality. Churches will, uh, you know, they'll demonize homosexuality left, right, and sideways, and they'll use verses like these: "Where you shall not lie with a male as with the woman, it is an abomination." And there's a laundry list of them in the Old Testament, and then Paul picks up some and throws them in in the New. Um, but it turns out that's not what Jesus said. And of course, like I said, you're entitled to believe what you want to believe and try and live by the Old Testament and the New. But why burden yourself with bondage when it turns out if you're a Christian, you have an out, you have an option because these are not the teachings of Jesus. None of them are in red. But if you do want to see what Jesus says about homosexuality or even not even homosexuality, but a male lying with the man as they would with the woman, as it says here, it turns out. Jesus has no problem with that, and you don't have to take my word for it. If you go to Luke 17:34, we'll scroll down and see for yourself. Jesus is telling us about a prophetic vision of the end times and the end of the world as we know it, and what it'll be like when he comes again, what we call the second coming. He tells us here, just after talking about Sodom and Lot's wife and all that, and we know what's tied to Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole thought of demonizing homosexuality yet it turns out after jesus talks about sodom and lot's wife who was lost on the exit from sodom it turns out what he says about in the end times <clears throat> excuse me i tell you in that night there will be two men in one bed that lets us know homosexual relationship a same-sex relationship however you want to whatever tickles your ear easiest it lets you know two people of the same sex are in the same bed and what, what does he say? The one will be taken and the other will be left. Uh, clearly not both going to hell if you're believing that that's where one's going to be taken to or left in. One is going to be saved and one is not. And so it doesn't matter that they're, having, that they're lying in bed with another man. It doesn't matter. That Old Testament stuff, if you want to hold on to it, feel free. But it's not what Jesus says. And he goes further. He says two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. So that's even more explicit letting us know that just like the two men are lying in bed together, which we know socially is not something. It has a social implication. It did then and it does now. So he's letting us know that's not what's going to bar you from heaven. That's not what's going to send you to hell. That's not what your salvation is based on. And yet, church after church after church will never preach this verse. Never touch this passage. Never let people know the door is open to salvation to whomsoever will. 
even if you sleep with other, even if you're male and you sleep with other men, or you're feet a woman and you sleep with other, grind with other women. However you want to look at it, you can hold on to what condemns and excludes, or you can embrace what accepts and includes. It's a choice. Um, so that's like the number nine thing, and the tenth one, probably the most, con- probably the most controversial of them all, is um, about transgender people and cross-dressing and the like. You know, people will condemn that. You know, transgender people, particularly transgender people, black transgender people like myself, are the number one most targeted for hate crimes in the world, in the United States, and even more discriminated against than all the other demographics of people, uh, whether it be old people, Jews, women, blacks, Latinos, all combined, even gay people, combined, transgender people, particularly black transgender people, are the most targeted for all of that. And it turns out Churches, people who call themselves holy and religious, will use verses like this to help back up their hate. Uh, A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do so are an abomination to the Lord. So we have this in Deuteronomy, Old Testament, and there are other verses, Leviticus, and that go into the same subject. But they'll skip over what Jesus actually says. So what does Jesus say? Jesus says in Luke... That um, that's not what it's about either. He, if you scroll down to Luke, let's go down to or is it chapter? Here we go. Chapter twelve. Oh, I'm sorry, Luke twelve, chapter twenty. Luke chapter twelve. I'm sorry, uh, verse twenty-two. This passage. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on, clothing. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So he's letting us know there, it's not about what you put on your body either. Your body, your life it doesn't have anything to do with the designer clothes you wear or what gender of the clothes you wear. But then just to, to hammer the point home, that just how twisted churches will use the Bible and skip over what Jesus says, what the Bible says, and just preach what they want you to know. Look at the beginning. Go back even to the beginning if you don't want to embrace what Jesus says. At the very beginning of the Bible when it talks about the creation of man. We'll go to Genesis. Let's see. Oh, one. Here we go. This is the very beginning. Like, if you're a believer, this is the beginning. Uh, So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, it's saying here, uh, you could read over it, but it's saying that the the creations at the beginning were created both male and female, as in hermaphrodites, which actually aligns with a lot of what we know biologically about um, all sorts of different uh, species. Very Well, there's only a few, but there are hermaphroditic uh, species of uh, of life on the earth, like a worm, for instance, is able to produce asexually. Having both male and female parts doesn't need to have sex to reproduce. So it would make sense that if truly Adam was the first creation, that he would be um, hermaphroditic, having both parts. Because if you read further, how else could how else could um, you uh, give birth otherwise? How else could you procreate otherwise? But, just uh, to be sure, if we read further 
in Genesis also, um, verse 2 and go down to verse 5, it lets us know here that just so you don't think that he already created men and women at that point where it says he created the male and female, you see here where it says this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground so that lets us know here a couple of things that there was no man yet just like it just said so that lets us know those creatures created the beginning just now we read before Genesis 2 before this passage that were created male and female are not the same creations that he's talking about that we're reading about here I believe those creations were probably the angelic cherub seraphim those sort of creatures I believe those entities I think that's what the first creation those male and female in the image of God I think that's what uh, was created there in one in Genesis 1 since again there's no man created yet by the time we get to Genesis 2 but then to hammer the point home to buttress that argument if you read further in Genesis also well, I think it's Genesis let me see yeah it is Genesis if we read a little further down that um, after he created um, Adam male and female not just male, a hermaphrodite. Uh, we go a little further, and where is it? I think it's 21. Let's see. Okay, so yeah, we have here Adam naming all the creatures, and here we go. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place, then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So this tells us a lot of things that churches will read over also, that clearly Adam himself was hermaphrodite. He was part male and part female. Otherwise, how could the female be taken out of him? And I think physical proof of this is most males, if you look between our legs, um, in the, what's it, the perineum, that area between the anus and the testicles, there's a line going up between sort of sealing the two halves of your body. At least on me, it's that, that um, just about every guy I've ever seen has that same thing. It seems to me more likely that that's where, and that's the where the female part would go also, it seems to me that's the part where the that separated the female from the male in Adam. And that part is pure speculation, but it sort of makes sense if you think about it biologically. Like I said, with the hermaphroditic reproduction asexually. But it makes sense if you look at your physical body, how the rest of your body doesn't have a line passing through it like that. Um, but women have a line passing through them in that area. It's open. And men, males, have a line passing through us that same way. And it's closed. Just like it says here, the area of the flesh was closed. Um, so we could believe what we want. But the Bible it says many different things that um, people in churches just don't teach or preach or believe or explore or even willing to open their minds to. But it's still there. So that, um, oh, that's the top 10 list. If you'd like to join me to read further and explore more about what the Bible actually says about things, join me for the Naked Truth. We'll be doing our regular reading in just a moment um, if you have the time. Or you can check out the collections area here on Twitch of past readings while they last. Or if you're an adult, you can go to my website, someteagirl.com.
hungclock.com, hungtgirls.com, sorry. Click yes, and you'll be taken into the adult area. You can click on the pictures. They're actually free videos. Um, you can explore the links on the left about my body, mind, and soul. And uh, you can check out the Living Water Chapel page to see what the Bible says more specifically about these different topics and when we read over them. Or you can join me again for our Matt and Mark Mondays where we go over those Gospels or John Luke Wednesdays where we go over those Gospels. Thank you so much. Stay safe. God bless you. And please love your neighbor as you love yourself by wearing a mask and washing your hands. Stay safe. Peace.